0: The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. So glad to have you all this morning. Again, a special welcome for those joining us online. As it's been said, my name is Joel Cathy, and I'm one of the pastoral interns here. To begin our time today, I'd like to introduce you to the book of Romans. And if you've been with us the last couple weeks, you'll recognize this is not the book that we have been going through and I'm able to jump texts like this because Chris is gone, and we can do whatever we want now. (laughs) That's, That's only half true, that's only half true. So this morning, we're only gonna be focusing on two verses together, but don't worry, it's gonna be a bit. But first, I'd like to dedicate our attention to, well, one word, dedication. So when I say the word dedication, when you see it, what comes to mind? What images might come up for you? might think of a child dedication, like we've had here at Fathom, or maybe a dedication page on a book, right? But what if someone exhibits it? What if someone shows dedication in their lifestyle? What happens? For example, if an athlete shows dedication to their sport, what's the result? They excel at it, right? They get the trophies, they get the medals. If an actor, shows dedication to their role. They give a memorable performance. If a husband loves his wife, he's faithful to her. He loves her. If a child is dedicated to learning the drums, well, those parents aren't sleeping for a while. (laughs) That's, That's the result. But what about a Christian? What about a believer, you? What happens then? What happens when a believer is dedicated to God or shows dedication to God? What's the result? What, what does that actually look like? So our text this morning, morning both answers and addresses this question and shows why as Christians, it is so important our calling, not only as a church, but as individuals, you, your personal walk with God, why it needs to be wholly dedicated unto him. I don't think it's that much of an exaggeration to say, as, as we heard a little bit this morning, that the continual health of the church in our nation is at stake here. will give you some stats. In Pew Research Center surveys, say that 10 times fast, conducted in 2018 and 2019, the percentage of American adults who describe themselves as Christians when asked about their religion had dropped 12% over the past decade. And two studies conducted by both the Barna Group and USA Today found that nearly 75% of Christian young people fall away from the faith and leave the church after high school. We live in a nation that's becoming continually less faithful and less spiritually dedicated throughout the generations. And as we'll see here, it is our calling It is what God asks of us to be dedicated unto him, giving God our all. And that's, I believe this is the core calling of what Paul is declaring here in Romans that we had read over us this morning and it's the primary focus of our time today. God wants all of you. Or for some good Southern grammar, God wants all y'all. God wants all y'all, the apostrophe's in there somewhere. (laughs) As, as we go through our time today, you'll see how I, how I preach, how I talk. I'm going to be asking you all a lot of questions. I want to personal, I'm going to ask you personally, what does this mean? So that I'm just letting you know, that's what I'm going to do throughout this time. I want you to read this. When we look at this scripture together, what does this mean for you? What does this mean personally? That kind of goes without saying when we look at the word, but I'm going to focus on that a little bit. What does this mean for you? What is your relationship with God like? What is the dedication in it? That's what we're going to look at today. So as I said, we're going to be meditating on Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So if you want to pull that up in your Bibles right now, or you can grab the black Bible under your chair, it should be on page 947. 947. Again, Romans 12, just verses 1 and 2. But to truly understand the, the weight of these verses, I feel it's vital to know, since we're jumping right in, in Romans, what's happened before it. What's, at least what Paul's been getting at the last 11 chapters of this book. And especially if the verse has a therefore in it. A little theological tip for my first years of seminary. This one's free. If a verse says, therefore, look behind it. <laughs> Anything that he's trying to say here in this therefore verse has to be understood with the premise of what's been said before. So I'm going to give us a brief background, a little crash course through the book of Romans, what Paul has been getting at up to this point. So again, the Apostle Paul penned this letter about 57 AD. For a little historical context on that, this was about seven years before Emperor Nero really began his per- the violent persecution against the church in Rome. And so in this time of relative peace, Paul found it necessary to dedicate this letter during this time to laying a foundation of Christian doctrine. Essentially, this is what the book of Romans is, foundation of a central Christian doctrine for them to understand. And arguably this is this book in the Bible is probably one of the most clear systematic presentations of the gospel. It's Such a great letter, five stars. Would recommend, would recommend reading it. So for the first 11 chapters, I'm gonna get into it just a little bit. Uh, Paul lays out several different truths about the gospel, clarifying what it is and what it's not. Clarifying that it is by grace and faith and the gift of God, not on a a works-based merit nor any lineage connection favors or anything like that. Truly by grace and faith. Again, quick summary, but I'm going to rattle off some things. Throughout his letter, he shares with them about God's holy judgment and righteousness. He gives the historical accounts of men like Adam and Abraham and Moses. He compares life under the law to life in the spirit. And he clearly states that salvation has come to us Gentiles as well. Praise the Lord. The gospel laid out so with all these things in mind, all these truths that uh, Paul has laid out for us, I like to think of this, the beginning of this chapter as the call to action, the mighty therefore transitioning into what he has for us. This is where I think Paul really transitions from um, indicatives to imperatives regarding the gospel. First, takes all this time to share what the gospel is, what we need to understand about it and then how we're to respond. And this is a pretty critical turn. I, com- I compare it to this. I compare it to the um, like the top secret meeting in every action movie ever. You can picture If you've seen an action movie, there's this one scene. It's cliche and it goes out the exact same way every single time where there's the meeting. It's in the dimly lit room. There's a huge round table in the middle. Everybody's gathered around it. There's all the profiles, the maps, the files, the, the last handwritten letter by an important character in the plot. And then the commander walks in, right? And then he it happens every t- the same way, every single time. There's the, the spinning camera angle around the table. And the commander gives the gives the, all the details first. It happens the same way every single time. Glows into length. Here's the situation. Here are the people involved. Here's what's going on. And then the call to action. That Turn that transition is so important, and I think Paul has done the exact same thing here. Because if it if it stopped there, there would be no plot, right? The gospel would be good information. It'd be history. It'd be everything that I laid out. God's word elicits a call to response. There must always be a response of some kind to what God says for us. So, what is Paul's call to response? Finally, getting to the text. It gives us a lot to work with here, even though there's two verses. So let's dig right in. We'll start with the first command in verse one. So if you'd read along with me, that'd be great. Sorry, I can't read that on Apple. Then you can read it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Romans 12.1. I'm sorry, I had to make a comment. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, we're going we're to make it. <laughs> I appeal to you therefore brothers and sisters by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. We're going holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We're going to pause right there. So the first thing when I say God wants your all. First thing Paul is calling believers then and us today to give unto God to dedicate to him is your body. God wants all of you, and he wants your body. So if we were to define the term here, share another thing that I like to do when I read words in the text, I want to know what, what, what's behind that? What's the Greek there? The Greek word for body is somata, somata. And in this context, especially since it's plural, he's referring to them as a whole, the church, but he's talking to them individually, your bodies. This seems to be meaning your actual when we kind of look at the context of this, your body, your flesh, your physical expressions of your body. So your lifestyle kind of thing. Not just you as a whole, which is very true, very true. God wants all of you. But here he's specifying, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Other times we see this word here to kind of, from the this is your body we're talking about. This word is used when it's talking about the body of Christ, when he was talking about his His physical body, or the bodies of the saints. Again, physical, physical selves. He's talking about them. So with this, he's declaring that your physical life, your physical choices are the platform of your worship of God. That's what he's making that statement first. He's saying, offering your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord. This is your spiritual worship. So he's saying, this is your platform. Offer your body as a sacrifice, and yet the very concept of a sacrifice is something fully dedicated, fully surrendered, fully for the purpose of God. And he's calling them to be this. He's not just, he's not just asking, offer a thing unto the Lord. He's saying, offer you. Offer you being the sacrifice. Again, not just the spiritual part of you, your prayers, your thoughts, absolutely but he wants your real life. So let me ask you, I told you I was gonna ask questions. Does he have your real life? Does God have your real life? Is God's voice a part of your daily decisions, your daily life and choices? Is he a part of that? Or is is he kind of off to the side? Does he have your dedication, but more so on the spiritual side of things, when I go to church or when I'm at Bible study. God wants all of you. God wants all of you. Let's continue in the verse. As he goes down, the, again, Paul's calling believers to offer their bodies as what? As a living sacrifice. Based on cultural context, the way he's phrasing this, the uh, his viewers would have been very familiar with this because he seems to be using... The language of the Old Testament here, offering a sacrifice unto the Lord. They would know that. That would, that would kind of click with them, but he's obviously doing something a little bit different here. Because it's not only a sacrifice, it's a living sacrifice, which is an oxymoron in itself when you look at it. Because with, uh, with the Mosaic sacrifices, they were with non-living things, like grains and wheat, and about to be non-living things like the oxen and the sheep. So there's something different here. It really shows the contrast between the old covenant and the new with this. Instead of a dead offering, just like in 2 Corinthians, he calls it a ministry of death in that regard. Paul's saying, be living, be active, be continuous in your worship of God. That's the kind of offering that he's calling us today to to give to give unto the Lord. And he affirms it with a couple other things. So contrary of the offering your body unto the Lord, Paul warns us of the opposite of this in the beginning of verse two, if you look at the text with me, saying, instead of conforming to the patterns of this world. Again, if we were to break down conforming, the Greek definition of that would be um, the, the, to imitate, to have a similar outward expression. Again, that goes hand in hand with when he's saying offer your bodies. He's talking about outward things, outward expressions, decisions, words, choices, things like that. So for example, if I were to conform to the pattern of a Broncos fan, you could tell, right? It would, it would be evidence. You would, see, you would see me at the games. I'd be going to the games. When we talk, I'd be talking about the season or the stats or something like that. You could probably tell it by the way look. I might have got my jersey on, might have some orange face paints, a disappointed expression, probably. <laughs> See about Wilson. I don't know. I don't know. But do not conform to the patterns, the cycles of this world. And again, patterns of this world. He's obviously not talking about physical creations, but rather the a fallen nature of mankind that surrounds us. Don't conform to them. Imitate godly character instead. Is is the implication of this? But right here, he just says, do not conform to it. In fact, he's saying, let your lifestyle show where your true dedication is, I think is what Paul's getting at here. Consider the game of charades. We all know the game. Um, You go up, you get a prompt, and then you're up there and you're trying to communicate it without saying anything, right? What if that concept was applied to your life, your life personally? What would your lifestyle say about what you are really living for? What would your lifestyle really say about what you're living for? What you're actually dedicated to? If you took out everything you say, and hear me me well, church, it is very important what you say. Just read James 3. It is very important what you say. But what would just simply your lifestyle, just your body, real life, what would it say about your dedication to God? If you were really honest with yourself, what does your body say. Let's continue on. Paul leads them into another affirmative action uh, in our spiritual worship. He says in verse two, to continue that, but don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So this is the second part of you that Paul is calling us individually and as a church to dedicate unto God. He wants your all, he wants your body, and he wants your mind. God wants your mind. Again, very unique word choice and imagery Paul gives us here. Being transformed by the renewal of your mind. The word here uh, for transformed is, in the Greek, metamorphusta. Metamorphosta. And if that sounds kind of familiar, it's because that's where we get our word Metamorphosis idea of radical change, continuing change is what he's saying, but be transformed. He's making a comparison to our continual sanctification in this. Again, our relationship with God ought to be ongoing, transforming from one degree of glory to the next. In fact, with that reference, 2 Corinthians 3.18, when Paul says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Same word, same word is being used here. Metamorphose, though. If you remember the school project they had back in uh, third grade, or parents, you might have had your kid do this, where they have the little netted cage, and they had all the caterpillars crawling around in it. They'd like crawl up and hang down and Cocoon, I don't know really how it happens, but, and then you'd wait, and then they'd emerge as a butterfly, right? Just a beautiful picture in creation that God's given us of transformation, something radically becoming another, transforming. So how does this continual transformation happen for us? The answer is twofold, and he gives it to us right here. The first being the renewal of your mind. Again, God wants your mind renewing, being made fresh, restored, repaired even. I like to think of this kind of uh, mind renewal as running a race that has more than one finish line. If you can kind of picture yourself like at a 5K or, or something like that on the road, and then you see ahead of you, there's God's finish line, checkered or whatever. So you see that over there, and that's where you're going. That's where you're headed, that's where your mind, your focus, you're running that direction. But then there's also that finish line over there and, and that one over there. If you could picture yourself just surrounded by other runners running in different directions, different speed, different paces, different styles. Everybody's just running around you. There's always, there's always that one guy with the, uh, the ungodly short shorts showing us way more than we ever need to see. He's there too but you're on this race and you're running and you have a focus and everybody's running around you. It can be so easy to drift. Everybody's running in different directions, different purposes, different goals. It can be very easy to start to drift, right? Compare yourself. Well, they're running this direction and they're doing really well. Or everybody in my area is running this way. So I guess I kind of go this way, right? It's so easy to drift and it makes it so hard to see that goal, especially if I'm running this direction or if my mind is going a different way, it can be so hard to remember and be renewed. I need to be renewed that that's the way I'm going. That's the way my mind needs to be focused on that. We need to be reminded, we need to be renewed because we're not on those paths anymore, right? God's called us. God's made us new. And he's still transforming us, as the verse says, when we dedicate our all to him and to his way. That's why I don't think it's an an accident, necessarily, uh, with the armor of God in Ephesians 6, why the helmet of salvation is right around the mind. Our minds need to be protected and renewed by truth. Intentionally refresh. I'll even share with y'all. This is something that I have asked my wonderful wife, Megan, to do for me. I asked her, I want you to check on me semi-regularly and ask me, how's your mind doing? How is your mind? I need that accountability in my life. We need this accountability in our lives. And just to check on me saying, how's, how's your mind doing? How's, how's that mental state? Because thoughts can just run so rampant in your mind, and that'll absolutely affect everything else that you do thoughts of doubt thoughts of insecurity thoughts of impurity will say it makes a mental environment that is far from being fully dedicated and surrendered unto god i absolutely believe with the context of scripture scripture commands that this kind of renewal ultimately comes by the grace of god and also through fellowship in the word that it comes through prayer with the church and seeking God with a posture of surrender and dedication. Again, all this is, is, uh, is made possible by the uh, empowering of the Holy Spirit, which I'll continue to talk, to talk about later. Now again, be honest with yourself. How is your mind today? How is your mind today? If you're just to be honest with yourself. Not how you'd like it to be, or not how you might give a generic answer to how have you been, How is your mind today? Has it been renewed? Have you been renewing it with truth? Is it a place of godly dedication or of confusion and doubt? How is your mind today? This brings us to the second part of our continual transformation. Again, first, that our minds would be renewed. And again, in verse two, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul finishes this second verse with the grander picture of why. Why dedicating our all to God is so important. I've already mentioned that we live in a a nation that's starting to push that aside and hate that and leave. So they're, they're important for our culture, but why is it important to be dedicated, to dedicate your all so that you might understand the Understanding the will of God is what Paul is saying here. So what, what does that mean? Again, a little word dissection. To test and discern or approve, different versions say that, what God's will is. The Greek here simplifies the phrase, there is one phrase, it's just to prove. And in another scripture looking at context, this word means to examine something. Approving by understanding it personally. Not that this is us putting God to some kind of test, that we're testing God, that he might uh, pass or fail for us. It's It's not like that, but rather testing, experiencing God's will and trusting in it. That's what Paul's saying here. Paul's not promising that all the mysteries of God's will will suddenly be made known to you, but rather that you'll be in a position to experience and see what... He's doing in a new light. To see it and know it for yourself, kind of idea. Again, similarly seen in Psalm 34 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who hopes in him. Continue on. He finishes with describing the contents of God's will by declaring it good, pleasing, or acceptable, and perfect again, from the, uh, from the original phrasing of the Greek here. It's not, they're not necessarily describing what God's will is, is like. They're not, he's not saying these, that's the characteristic, which it absolutely is. God's will is good, and it is perfect, and it is pleasing. Rather, here he's saying this is what, it's, what it is for the believer, for you. I do believe there is a little bit of a difference in there. Believing that his will is ultimately what is good for me, for us. What is pleasing and acceptable in his sovereign sight and what is perfect for what we need. Now, I want you to be honest with yourself. I think I probably could have titled the sermon that, just be honest with yourself. <laughs> that probably would have done the trick. But do you believe this? Do you believe that? Not just in your confessional theology, not just what you say you believe about God, because you, you could say that a lot. You could make great statements. But in your practical theology and how you are actually living like what we've talked about so far, do you believe, do you trust and live and hope that God's will is good and acceptable and perfect? Because Paul's made it very clear here that this life perspective can only, and the understanding that comes with it, can only come from Genuine, dedicated posture of the body and the mind. You can't be positioned to hear God's will and understand it if you haven't actually dedicated yourself and given yourself unto him. I work with young adults. This is kind of a common question that comes up sometimes like, what's God's will? I don't understand. Part of my question to them is, what's your lifestyle? Are you in a position now that God could tell you what, what he has for you or what part of the plan you're going to be a part of and that you would say yes and you'd go into that. I say that because this area of, um, this idea of dedication and surrender hits pretty home for me. I want to share with y'all a little bit. I know I've shared bits of my testimony with different people. Um, I'll share, this spot right now is not where I thought I was going to be for a very long time. For the first 21 years of my life, my life was going in a different direction. For context, I'm 24, so that was not that long ago, just for some context. First 21 years of my life, I was, I was headed towards the military. That was my goal. I was in the youth military program for a handful of years in high school. Both my parents served in the Air Force, and I just that's where I thought I was going. That's, where, that's what I dedicated my life to. And it wasn't until my junior year of college Still headed down that route. I remember, clear as day, I remember driving back from Denver, back to Grand Junction. My folks had moved there a couple years back, just praying in the car, asking God, just do your perfect will in me, seeking him in that. And that's when I first heard the voice of, I want you to surrender the military dream. Very clear, very out of left field, I will say. I want you to surrender the military dream to me. And I said, no. (laughs) I'm just being honest with y'all, I said in that moment, no, that's, I mean, that seems like it's a bit much. That's Lord, that can't be you, right? That can't be you. I've I've dedicated my life to this. This is my passion. This is where I'm going. I mean, yeah, I've asked you, I've set my plans and I've asked you to bless them, but yeah, this is where I'm going. And I struggled y'all, just be honest. I struggled for over a year with that voice, that voice just continually being there and it wasn't until I actually, after I graduated college, that I, re- I remember I was helping um, remodel a retreat center for the college ministry that uh, Amanda and I were actually a part of, and I remember sitting there, and again, the, the, just the voice, the spirit of the Lord saying, "Are you going to choose me? Are you going to dedicate your life to me or not? Because you know I've been telling you this. He's it's made, it's made it very clear that this is this is my voice, and y'all, I." I claim no strength of my own on on this. This is all by God's grace. I'm in that moment finally saying, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. My life is yours. My life is yours. I want to dedicate my all to you. I can't fully describe the peace that filled me in that moment. The weight that I've been wrestling with for that whole year finally off, finally off my shoulders when I finally said to the Lord, yes, I want to dedicate my all. My whole life was not dedicated to the Lord. It just wasn't. And finally saying, yes, I'll say the peace and also the chaos. Immensely <laughs> he's like, all right, what are we going to do now? Because up to that point, I've been asking the Lord, so what do you want me to do? And the Lord in his sovereignty did not give me an answer. He said, I want you to choose. I was trying to negotiate with the Lord. Advice, that doesn't work. <laughs> Saying, let me, let me try. Let me try to enlist or something. And then something just pushes me out or something. I don't know. And he, the Lord's voice was, I want you to choose. I want you to dedicate. And it's only by his grace that he helped me do that. And look where I am today. How about that? I would have never met the people I did. I met a wonderful gal shortly afterwards. Now she's my wife. I'm involved in ministry. I've been involved in everything that God wants me in. Not that it's pain, it was painless. It was hard. There was sacrifice. There was confusion in that. But man, that peace and joy of knowing I'm, I'm seeking God in this. And he's going to carry me in this. But that is the cost of discipleship. It's your everything. It's your everything. But I can say with certainty it's worth it. God wants all of you. Again, as I've noted through our time this morning, and I'll ask it again, what does this all mean to you? I know I've shared, I've told you about this, the, the text, but what does this mean for you? You personally, if it looks like I'm looking at you, I am. Have you done these things? I'll kind of ask, have you dedicated your body, your real life to God? Have you done that? Have you renewed your mind in truth? Have you sought God to help you understand and personally experience and trust his will? Maybe when, when was the last time you just directly dedicated yourself to God? Now, I'm not necessarily talking about your, your confession of faith or your conversion moment, not necessarily, but the last time you just refreshed your spirit, refreshed your mind and sense of purpose by speaking to God and saying like something like this of, I'm yours, God. I'm My life, my gifts, my talents—I'm yours anyway. But I just—I want to dedicate it and remind and renew myself that I am yours. Or maybe even doing something a little bit extra for a change. Then, rather just a passing thought: What if, what if you literally postured yourself before your King and said, "Lord, I'm yours. Do with you what you will." Use me. Use my life. I'm here. I'm available. I want to dedicate my body. I want to dedicate my mind to you. Praying to God and seeking him like that. And I'm realizing now that I've I've kneeled down. Maybe I'm, I'm just a little head in the bottom of the camera, just kind of sliding around. Maybe, maybe not. But when's the last time you had that kind of moment with the Lord? Again, more than just a passing thought. If you haven't, What's holding you back? What's holding you back? I'm gonna ask a pretty honest question to, to finish this up. Does all of this sound like it's a bit much? Just an honest question. Does all of this sound like it's a bit much? All this dedication, all this surrender, all this trust, maybe a little, it sounds a little bit overwhelming, doesn't it? If we're honest, almost impossible. But I have great news. It is. <laughs> it absolutely is. These calls to action by themselves, with our fallen nature, is impossible. But again, how, remind you, how did Paul begin this section? Look back at verse one with me. How did he start this? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Better translated, in the light of God's mercy. When we have that kind of framework, all these commands, all these surrender is in the framework and in the empowerment of God's agape love and compassion. You're not alone in this. You're not trying to do this alone. God's calling you to this, and he's gonna be right next to you. He's gonna be right with you on the way. God wants all of you. Not half of you, not a third of your time, not a quarter of your attention, not a seventh of your week. He wants all of you, every part of you, your real life, your mind, he wants you to trust him. You will never regret giving God your all. I'll say that. You will never regret God giving God your all. So why not dedicate or spiritually rededicate yourself today? What will stop you from doing something like that? Once more, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship. But do not conform to the patterns of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you might discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, You are so good. You are so good. You are worthy of our all. I pray that this time your word would move powerfully in conviction and encouragement and all that we need, you are worth it. As a church, we offer you our bodies as you've asked our real life. As individuals, we offer you our bodies and our real lives. We offer you our minds. We give you our trust because you deserve our trust. And as I said, we want to understand and see your will for what it is. Not living in confusion or doubt, but knowing that you are good and your will for us is trustworthy, and that you do want our all. Help us give it to you, Lord. Help us give it to you. You pray these in the mighty name of God. Amen.